Section 26A of Pamela or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela or Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson. Section 26A. Monday, the fifth day. I have had very little of my dear friend's company this day, for he only stayed breakfast with me, and rode out to see a sick gentleman about eighteen miles off, who begged, by a man and horse on purpose, to speak with him, believing he should not recover, and upon part of whose estate my master has a mortgage. He said, My dearest, I shall be very uneasy if I am obliged to tarry all night from you, but, lest you should be alarmed, if I don't come home by ten, don't expect me for poor Mr. Carlton and I have pretty large concerns together, and if he should be very ill, and would be comforted by my presence, as I know he loves me and his family will be more in my power if he dies than I wish for, charity will not let me refuse. It is now ten o'clock at night, and I fear he will not return. I fear, for the sake of his poor sick friend, who I doubt is worse." Though I know not the gentleman, I am sorry for his own sake, for his family's sake, and for my dear master's sake, who, by his kind expression, I find, loves him. And, methinks, I should be sorry any grief should touch his generous heart. Though yet there is no living in this world without too many occasions for concern, even in the most prosperous state. And it is fit it should be so, or else, poor wretches as we are, we should look no farther, but be like sensual travellers on a journey homeward, who, meeting with good entertainment at some inn on the way, put up their rest there, and never think of pursuing their journey to their proper home. This, I remember, was often a reflection of my good ladies, to whom I owe it. 11 o'clock. Mrs. Jukes has been with me, and asked if I will have her for a bedfellow, in want of a better. I thanked her, but I said I would see how it was to be by myself one night. I might have mentioned that I made Mrs. Jukes dine and sup with me, and she was much pleased with it and my behavior to her, and I could see by her manner that she was a little struck inwardly at some of her former conduct to me. But, poor wretch, it is much, I fear, because I am what I am, for she has otherwise very little remorse, I doubt. Her talk and actions are entirely different from what they used to be, quite circumspect and decent, and I should have thought her virtuous and even pious had I never known her in another light. By this we may see, my dear father and mother, of what force example is, and what is in the power of the heads of families to do, and this shows that evil examples in superiors are doubly pernicious and doubly culpable because such persons are bad themselves, and not only do no good, but much harm to others, and the condemnation of such must, to be sure, be so much the greater. And how much the greater still must my condemnation be, who have had such a religious education under you, and been so well nurtured by my good lady, if I should forget, with all these mercies heaped upon me, what belongs to the station I am preferred to. Oh, how I long to be doing some good! For all that is past yet, 
is my dear, dear master's, God bless him, and return him safe to my wishes. For methinks already, tis a week since I saw him. If my love would not be troublesome and impertinent, I should be nothing else. For I have a true grateful spirit, and I had need to have such a one, for I am poor in everything but will. Tuesday morning, eleven o'clock. My dear, dear, master, I'm sure I should still say, but I will learn to rise to a softer epithet now and then, is not yet come. I hope he is safe and well. So Mrs. Jukes and I went to breakfast. But I can do nothing but talk and think of him and all his kindness to me, and to you, which is still me, more intimately. I have just received a letter from him, which he wrote overnight, as I find by it, and sent early this morning. This is a copy of it. To Mrs. Andrews, my dearest Pamela, Monday night. I hope my not coming home this night will not frighten you. You may believe I can't help it. My poor friend is so very ill that I doubt he can't recover. His desires to have me stay with him are so strong that I shall sit up all night with him, as it is now near one o'clock in the morning, for he can't bear me out of his sight. And I have made him and his distressed wife and children so easy, in the kindest assurances I could give him, of my consideration for him and them, that I am looked upon, as the poor disconsolate widow, as she, I doubt, will soon be, tells me, as their good angel. I could have wished we had not engaged to the good neighborhood at Sir Simon's for tomorrow night, but I am so desirous to set out on Wednesday for the other house, that, as well as in return for the civilities of so many good friends, who will be there on purpose, I would not put it off. What I beg of you, therefore, my dear, is, that you would go in the chariot to Sir Simon's, the sooner in the day the better, because you will be diverted with the company, who all so much admire you, and I hope to join you there by your tea-time in the afternoon, which will be better than going home and returning with you, as it will be six miles difference to me, and I know the good company will excuse my dress on the occasion. I count every hour of this little absence for a day, for I am, with the utmost sincerity, my dearest love, forever yours, etc. If you could go to dine with them, it will be a freedom that would be very pleasing to them, and the more as they don't expect it. I begin to have a little concern, lest his fatigue should be too great, and for the poor sick gentleman and family, but told Mrs. Jukes, that the least intimation of his choice should be a command to me, and so I would go to dinner there, and ordered the chariot to be got ready to carry me, when a messenger came up just as I was dressed, to tell her she must come down immediately. I see at the window that visitors are come, for there is a chariot and six horses, the company gone out of it, and three footmen on horseback, and I think the chariot has coronets. Who can it be, I wonder? but here I will stop, for I suppose I shall soon know. Good sirs, how unlucky this is! What shall I do? Here is Lady Davers come, her own self, and my kind protector a great, great many miles off. Mrs. Jukes, out of breath, comes and tells me this, and says she is inquiring for my master and me. She asked her, it seemed, naughty lady as she is, if I was whored yet. 
there's a word for a lady's mouth. Mrs. Jukes says she knew not what to answer, and my lady said, she is not married, I hope, and said she, I said no, because you have not owned it yet publicly. My lady said, that is well enough. Said I, I will run away, Mrs. Jukes, and let the chariot go to the bottom of the elm walk, and I will steal out of the door unperceived. But she is inquiring for you, madame, replied she, and I said you was within, but going out. And she said, she would see you presently, as soon as she could have patience. What did she call me? said I. The creature, madame, I will see the creature, said she, as soon as I can have patience. Ay, but, said I, the creature won't let her if she can help it. Pray, Mrs. Jukes, favor my escape for this once, for I am sadly frighted, said she. I'll bid the chariot go down as you order, and wait till you come. I'll step down and shut the hall door, that you may pass unobserved, for she sits cooling herself in the parlor over against the staircase. That's a good Mrs. Jukes, said I. But who has she with her? Her woman, answered she, and her nephew. But he came on horseback, and is going into the stables, and they have three footmen. And I wish said I, they were all three hundred miles off. What shall I do? So I wrote thus far, and wait impatiently to hear the coast is clear. Mrs. Jukes tells me I must come down, or she will come up. What does she call me now? said I. Wench, madame, bid the wench come down to me, and her nephew and her woman are with her. Said I, I can't go, and that's enough. You might contrive it that I might get out, if you would. Indeed, madame, said she, I cannot, for I went to shut the door, and she bid me let it stand open, and there she sits over against the staircase. Then, said I, I'll get out of the window, I think, and fanned myself, for I am sadly frightened. Laud, madame, said she, I wonder you so much disturb yourself. You're on the right side of the hedge, I'm sure, and I would not be so discomposed for anybody. Aye, said I, but who can help constitution? I dare say you would no more be so discomposed that I can help it. Said she, Indeed, madame, if it was to me, I would put on an air as mistress of the house, as you are, and go salute her ladyship and bid her welcome. Aye, aye, replied I, fine talking, but how unlucky this is, your good master is not at home. What answer shall I give her, said she, to her desiring to see you? Tell her, said I, I am sick abed, I am dying and must not be disturbed, I am gone out, or anything. But her woman came up to me just as I had uttered this, and said, How do you do, Mrs. Pamela? My lady desires to speak to you so I must go. Sure she won't beat me. Oh, that my dear protector was at home. Well, now I will tell you all that happened in this frightful interview, and very bad it was. I went down, dressed as I was, and my gloves on, and my fan in my hand, to be just ready to step into the chariot when I could get away. And I thought all my trembling fits had been over now, but I was mistaken, for I trembled sadly. 
yet resolved to put on as good an air as I could. So I went to the parlour and said, making a very low curtsy, Your servant, my good lady, and your servant again, said she, my lady, for I think you are dressed out like one. A charming girl, though, said her rakish nephew, and swore a great oath. Dear aunt, forgive me, but I must kiss her, and was coming to me. And I said, Forbear, uncivil gentleman, I won't be used freely. Jackie, said my lady, sit down and don't touch the creature. She's proud enough already. There's a great difference in her air, I'll assure you, since I saw her last. Well, child, said she sneeringly, how dost find thyself? Thou art mightily come on of late. I hear strange reports about thee. Thou art almost got into fool's paradise, I doubt. And wilt find thyself terribly mistaken in a little while, if thou thinkest my brother will disgrace his family to humour thy baby face. I see, said I, sadly vexed, her woman and nephew smiling by, your ladyship has no very important commands for me, and I must beg leave to withdraw. Beck, said she to her woman, shut the door, my young lady and I must not have done so soon. Where's your well-mannered deceiver gone, child? says she. Said I, when your ladyship is pleased to speak intelligibly, I shall know how to answer. Well, but my dear child, said she in drollery, don't be too pert neither, I beseech thee. Thou wilt not find thy master's sister half so ready to take thy freedoms as thy mannerly master is. So a little of that modesty and humility that my mother's waiting-maid used to show will become thee better than the airs thou givest thyself, since my mother's son has taught thee to forget thyself. I would beg, said I, one favour of your ladyship, that if you would have me keep my distance, you will not forget your own degree. Why, suppose, Miss Pert, I should forget my degree. Wouldst thou not keep thy distance, then? If you, madam, said I, lessen the distance yourself, you will descend to my level, and make an equality, which I don't presume to think of, for I can't descend lower than I am, at least in your ladyship's esteem. Did I not tell you, Jackie, said she, that I should have a wit to talk to? He who swears like a fine gentleman at every word, wrapped out an oath and said, drolling, I think, Mrs. Pamela, if I may be so bold as to say so, you should know you are speaking to Lady Davers. Sir, said I, I hope there was no need of your information, and so I can't thank you for it, and am sorry you seem to think it wants an oath to convince me of the truth of it. He looked more foolish than I at this, if possible, not expecting such a reprimand, and said at last, Why, Miss Pamela, you put me half out of countenance with your witty reproof. Sir, said I, you seem quite a fine gentleman, and it will not be easily done, I dare say. How now, pert one, said my lady, do you know whom you talk to? I think I do not, madam, replied I, and for fear I should forget myself more, I'll withdraw. Your ladyship's servant, said I, and was going, but she rose and gave me a push and pulled a chair, and, setting the back against the door, sat down in it. 
Well, said I, I can bear any thing at your ladyship's hands. But I was ready to cry, though. And I went and sat down and fanned myself at the other end of the room. Her woman, who stood all the time, said softly, Miss Pamela, you should not sit in my lady's presence. And my lady, though she did not hear her, said, You shall sit down, child, in the room where I am when I give you leave. So I stood up and said, When your ladyship will hardly permit me to stand, one might be indulged to sit down. But I ask you, said she, whither your master is gone. To one Mr. Carlton, madame, about eighteen miles off, who is very sick. And when does he come home? This evening, madame. And where are you going? To a gentleman's house in the town, madame. And how was you to go? In the chariot, madame. Why, you must be a lady in time, to be sure. I believe you'd become a chariot mighty well, child. Was you ever out in it with your master? Pray, your ladyship, said I, a little too pertly, perhaps, be pleased to ask half a dozen such questions together, because one answer may do for all. Why, bold face, said she, you'll forget your distance and bring me to your level before my time. I could no longer refrain tears, but said, Pray, your ladyship, let me ask what I have done to be thus severely treated. I never did your ladyship any harm, and if you think I am deceived, as you was pleased to hint, I should be more entitled to your pity than your anger. She rose and took me by the hand and led me to her chair, and then sat down, and still holding my hand said, Why, Pamela, I did indeed pity you while I thought you innocent, and when my brother seized you and brought you down hither without your consent, I was concerned for you, and I was still more concerned for you and loved you when I heard of your virtue and resistance and your laudable efforts to get away from him. But when, as I fear, you have suffered yourself to be prevailed upon and have lost your innocence and added another to the number of fools he has ruined, this shocked me a little, I cannot help showing my displeasure to you. Madame, replied I, I must beg no hasty judgment. I have not lost my innocence. Take care, take care, Pamela, said she. Don't lose your veracity as well as your honor. Why are you here when you are at full liberty to go whither you please? I will make one proposal to you, and if you are innocent, I am sure you'll accept it. Will you go and live with me? I will instantly set out with you in my chariot, and not stay half an hour longer in this house if you'll go with me. Now if you are innocent and willing to keep so, deny me if you can. I am innocent, madame, replied I, and willing to keep so, and yet I cannot consent to this. Then, said she, very mannerly, thou liest, child, that's all, and I give thee up. And so she arose and walked about the room in great wrath. Her nephew and her woman said, Your ladyship's very good, tis a plain case, a very plain case. End of section 26a